You turn in your Bibles to the second letter that Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, to the second chapter of the second letter, as we now continue this picture where Paul is actually correcting what now had become uh, some false understanding of the very last day's events. He's going to speak into this situation that we find ourselves in in the world today because there's probably some of you who have gone through some tough stuff this last week. Amen? Anybody in here gone through some things? Our our world is coming apart at the seams, it seems like, and always has. And yet what really occurs here is Paul is saying to the church, which he's already reminded them, look, Jesus is coming again. Amen? Jesus is coming again. Amen? He is coming back, and he's coming back as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's not coming back to die again. He already came and died, gave his life a ransom for many. It is the reason that we're able to come to the communion table. We will have a chance to celebrate the sacrifice made for us on Calvary's cross at the end of this morning's service. But in doing so, he's also made some promises that things as they are today, the age of grace that we currently walk in, not going to continue forever. There's going to be an end to the age of grace. God is not going to allow sin to reign in this world indefinitely. And he has a plan to come back and ultimately punish sin, to take care of it, to wipe it out. Personally, I can't wait for that time. Before he does that, he's going to take his church home because he's going to pour out his wrath. So in chapter 5 of the first letter, he says to us, for he has not appointed us, the church, unto wrath, but unto salvation. He saved us from his wrath. And so in doing so, he now says, look, I want to make sure you have this straight. Because what was happening in the church is people took it wrongly two different directions. One was, we're going through all this stuff, and we're actually going to perish. The other was, I'm not sure I'm saved because they were already going through these things, and they're equating them to God's pouring out his wrath. He says, well, we can't be saved if he's pouring his wrath out on us. So some of them were believing they were not saved. Others were believing, man, did we miss the rapture of the church? And so in chapter 2, he squares away this doctrinal error. And in doing so, he sets the table really for us for communion. Because we are here today, and if you are the redeemed of the Lord, say amen. Amen. If you're the redeemed of the Lord, then these things are not a worry to us. They make us alive unto the gospel. They cause us to be busy about our Father's business. We look at the world very differently from those who do not know the Lord. You see, this time for us is a time to get busy. And so the question for you this morning is, are you ready? Are you ready to see Jesus? Because he may come today, so you need to be ready. Would you pray with me and let's ask God to bless his word. Father, we are so grateful for the encouragement of your word. And we pray now, as we study these four verses, God, that you would speak from heaven to earth, that our lives would be enlightened, that our minds would be Uh, filled with your promises. Help us to know what you would have us to understand today so that we might be effective in these last days for your kingdom and for your glory. And so we give you this time, Lord, it's yours. Speak to your church, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
verse 1, 2 Thessalonians 2. Now, brethren. So when he says brethren, who's he talking to? He's talking to Christians, amen? He lumps himself. He says, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, could he possibly be talking about the first coming? The answer is no. They're already saved. He's already reminded them of that. He says, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ... So he must be referring to the second coming, not the first one. He wants to make sure that they differentiate which is which. And then he says, and, everyone knows that and is a conjunction, amen? It joins two thoughts together. And, our, who's the our? We already know because chapter 5 of the last chapter told us that he is coming to punish the world through the tribulation. He's not appointed us unto wrath, so we're out of that picture. We must be in another picture because he says, and our gathering together to him. And he uses a very unique word used once and only once in the New Testament there. That word gathering is episynagogue. It is an infilled church is another way to look at it. In other words, he's talking about the church. He's gathering the church together. Where is he going to do that? In the heavens. The church will be snatched away. We've already seen that in chapter 1. He says, so I'm making a differentiation here. I want you to understand this. The Lord is coming again, but you need to be concerned with what are you doing before he comes and the fact that you're going to be gathered together with him. We ask you not to be so soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. And he's saying, look, the day of the Lord has not yet come. The day of Christ has not yet come. Those two phrases are one and the same. They're interchangeable with the time of Jacob's trouble. Daniel's 70th week. The tribulation, the great tribulation, they're all referring to a point in time when God is going to pour out what he does not want us to have, which is his wrath. He saved you from that. The reason the cross is so wonderful is you could never have paid your own price. And because you couldn't pay your own price, he saved you from that by forgiving your sin and placing Christ's righteousness in your account in your life. And so what we have at the communion table is what Christ did on the cross. And he's saying, look, that was sufficient. You do not need to be punished for your sin. And that's what his wrath being poured out is. It's the punishment of sin. Read Joel chapters 1, 2, and 3. Very clear what's going on there. God is one day going to take care of the problem that has occurred on this earth and has happened since Jesus was here what has happened to the Jewish people, how they were treated, very specifically that they were scattered to the four corners of the world, and that the land that is still God's, people have divided. It belongs to Israel. As an eternal possession, they were supposed to keep it in honoring the Lord. And so the tribulation is coming for a very specific reason. Sin and what's happened to national Israel. And so he says, I want you to not be so soon shaken. Look, we didn't write you a new letter. This is not a new prophetic understanding. This is not something I haven't said before. This is what I said before. I told you these things. Don't be moved. And he goes on 
And it begins to give us a picture which will actually become a little more complete when we get to chapter, the, the remainder of this chapter. But as you look at this, he gives us actually three things which we'll look at in a moment. Let no one deceive you by any means. He said, let no deception creep into your life by any means. For that day, which day is it? He's referring to the day of Christ, the day of the Lord, the tribulation. He's saying, look, that day is not going to come. It will not come unless the falling away comes first. He uses the Greek word there, apostasia. So it's not talking about things just becoming evil because they're already evil. But a falling away means you have to first be somewhere in order to fall away from it. Where is that place you have to be? A believer. You have to be in the church. You have to be about the things of God. And people will be about the things of God. And it says in the very last days, before the Lord comes again, there will be a falling away from the things of God. From grace. From the word of God. And so he makes it very clear. And then he says, and, again a conjunction. It's not one or the other. In this case, it's both of these two things. And the man of sin is revealed. The son of perdition. The titles that we already know who this is. Daniel spoke very clearly that there would one day be someone who would come on the scene who would be the man of sin. The prince who is to come. Not speaking of the Lord Jesus, but that final world ruler who would pop up on the scene and begin to do the things that the world right now today yearns for. If you could name three things in the entire world that the whole world right now today would want to see happen, they are the very things that will be attributed to this particular world ruler. Number one is solve all the world's religious problems. Join everybody together in a single world religion. Solve everything ecumenically. We just all become one giant religion. A second thing, let's equalize the world's monetary system. Let's make everybody under one world monetary system. So you need to know this guy in order to be able to buy and sell. And then finally, there will be a single government. We'll have the UN on steroids eventually. The world yearns for this leader that will come. Scripture is being very specific here. The Lord is speaking into our lives, saying, look, that guy has to be revealed before the Lord is is going to finish his plans up for this, this earth, the son of perdition. And notice what he does. Who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, because there's a lot of things that people call God, Amen? Doorknobs, trees. If you happen to, to believe in the, the Hindu uh, way of thinking, then there are literally thousands of gods. If you happen to be here and maybe you've been a Muslim most of your life, you believe that there's a single God and that God has no son. You see, there are a lot of things called God. But this one ruler is going to exalt himself above everything that is called God. Every world religion he will supplant. And then something that today 
praise the Lord, is still impossible. So that he sits as God in the temple of God. Now, we are, in a sense, the temple of God today here on this earth, but we're not a place that someone can sit. Amen? So where do you think he's talking about? The temple of God in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount, the third one. Because right now, if you go there, you're going to find three mosques. It is the noble sanctuary of Islam. The Dome of the Rock from which Muhammad took his night journey to Mecca. The Al-Aqsa Mosque. Seats nearly 5,000 people near the southern end, overlooks the southern steps where Jesus taught. The Dome of the Chain. There is no temple. So this guy, if he came today, would have no place to set himself up to be worshipped as God, showing himself that he is God. This last world ruler will actually be worshipped as God. And so as we think on these verses, you see, when we look at the world today, you can see how clearly the world is moving that direction. And people will always ask, well, you know, is it going to be next week, next month, next year? The same questions were alive then. They were going, did, did we miss the rapture? Are we in the tribulation? Is the Lord coming back tomorrow? Should I just sit around and wait for God to come back? No, you need to be busy. We need to be busy about our Father's business. There are people who desperately need today, maybe in this building right now, that do not know the Lord Jesus Christ personally as their Lord and Savior. And so we, as the church, have work to do. We should not be sitting around going, well, you know, I don't know when the Lord's going to come back, or maybe we already missed it. Oh, he's coming again. And you can be sure that he has not yet come again. Because there is not right now, since 70 A.D., when the emperor Titus, Titus Flavius, destroyed Jerusalem, pushed the temple mount off. You can see the rocks. They're still sitting at the base of the wall on the southern end of the temple. They're still there. But there will be a ruler who's going to square all those things away. So in the meantime, he says, basically, in case you missed it, Jesus is coming again. He wants to make sure that we get it. You see, this stimulates us to action. It causes us to not sit around going, well, you know, I don't know. We do know, and we know that he has not yet come back. And here's the beauty for us. That means we still have time. You have time. Every unsaved person in your life, you still have time to share the good news of the gospel with them. Our country that's going so sideways from God right now, There's time to pray and be about our Father's business. But we will not always have that time. Because when you think not, the Son of Man will come. And one day you're going to be snatched away by force. Well, it'll be all good for you. If you're here and you love Jesus, you'll be gone. But not so good for those who've been left behind. And so he says, look, I want you to make sure you have this right. Jesus is coming again. What does that day look like? And people often will say, well, you know, we just don't know that much about it. We know a ton about that final day. 
because it's not actually a day. It's a period of time. Daniel described it as a final week of God working out the, the very last stages of, of the time when people can come to faith in Christ. And right now, if you're here, it's as easy as bowing your knee to Christ Jesus and saying, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that you died on Calvary's cross. I believe that your blood purchased my life back from sin and death, and I'm resting by faith in that grace that you're going to give me as a gift. You see, today it's easy. But there's going to come a time when it's not going to be easy anymore. Because you're going to give up gold to buy a loaf of bread. You will have received a mark on your right hand or on your forehead to even purchase anything. Oh, sure, at the beginning... Because Daniel tells us that at the beginning, there will be a reign of peace under the Antichrist. He'll make a peace treaty with Israel. And so it'll look like things are going well. And then according to Revelation chapter 6 through 19, read them. Literally all hell breaks loose on earth. That time hasn't come. Praise God. Amen? But it is. And we need to be very concerned that it is going to happen. So many Christians just sit around, well, you know, I got a, my whole life. Because of grace, you do have your whole life. The question is, what are you doing with your whole life? What does your life count for today? If you were to give an account for the hope that lies within you, what would that look like? You see, when you read these passages, Isaiah 13 is sufficient by itself. But if you take these, and, and especially when you get to the end of this very long list that I've put up here, read Joel's prophecy. It's not a pleasant picture. And it's very specific. What are you doing with your life? Now, praise the Lord, that day is still future. And here's how we know. We'll see a little bit more of it next week. We know because we're told what will happen. There will be a final rebellion against God. Pastor Rob and I were talking between services, and I think this is the way to best understand it. As the world begins to shift away from God and toward secularism, so much so that it becomes illegal to even worship God. Now, now can I tell you tonight, if you were to go someplace publicly, and stand on the street corner, and assuming that you know some of these words, I pray you don't, but you could recall every vulgar word that you have ever learned in your entire life. You could scream those at the top of your lungs. You could behead the President of the United States in a play in a park owned by a municipality. That would be okay. But if you were to stand up in a public place and proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord and no one comes to the Father but by him, that would be actually illegal. It would likely be considered hate speech. Ask yourself a question, where are we? Where is the world heading? When evil is good and good is evil, we're getting towards the end. And so he's helping us keep track of where we are on the great timeline. Personally, 
We are way towards the end. How much longer we have, I don't personally know. But I know this, we have a whole lot less time than we had 2,000 years ago. Boy, howdy. Amen? And so he says, look, rebellion against God is going to be the first sign. Falling away from the Lord. How many churches do we have in our world today? How many here in our country do we have today that are fleeing the inerrancy of Scripture? Are fleeing the line by line, precept upon precept, chapter and verse teaching of God's Word, which we do here. How many churches are doing that? Many. As a matter of fact, we're about to head towards, I believe, the word most. Churches become a social club. Scripture says when that begins to happen, to its extreme, we're out near the end. You can really be looking up. Amen? For your Redeemer draws nigh. Then he says this world ruler is going to come on the scene. You see, these days are still future, but I think we're very close. And so what are we doing with the fact that we're close? And then ultimately, as we'll see next time, the restrainer of evil will be pulled out of the church right now because you are a believer, you are endued with the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is actually in you. Just like it said here, epi-synagogue, you have in you also the power of the Holy Spirit. So imagine if every believer was taken out of the world. Now surely the Holy Spirit still is the third person of the Trinity and is still God, and surely the Holy Spirit has the capacity to work. But what if the Holy Spirit said, I'm just going to withdraw? Oh my. Imagine what the world would look like then. So he says, don't be so soon shaken or troubled. It hasn't happened yet. And praise the Lord, that is where we can hang our, our, our thought processes right now. There's still time. Don't be deceived. There is still time. But it should stimulate us to action. It should make us excited. I'm sitting there watching Pastor Jess from Ireland going, that's awesome. I'm thinking about the team leaving tomorrow to head to El Salvador. I'm going, this is amazing. And by the way, the facility they're going to, you all paid to build. That whole missions base. You see, we're busy about our Father's business because people's eternity lies in the truth of believing that Jesus Christ is the only Son of God. And He died to set them free. Before the world completely comes unhinged, there's going to be a ruler that's going to come along. And and His... He, he's, he's going to be known as the Antichrist. His name is actually given in, in one of John's letters, the second letter that John writes. But this man of sin that comes on the scene, you see the world is aching for that kind of leadership right now today. If he showed up, I believe the world would welcome him. Kind of get all the religions together in one place. That's awesome. You're going to equalize the monetary things that go back and forth between the United States and China and Russia? Great. The world's looking for that kind of ruler right now. And never before in human history have we even had a global community such as we have right now. So we're out there on the end of the timeline. That falling away is happening, and we are looking for that type of ruler even today. 
So we need to be ready. You know, it's interesting, if you were to have a, a, an original copy of the King James Bible when it was first produced in 1612, inside the cover of the Bible, in the introduction, it actually named the Antichrist as the Pope, Pope Leo. Hitler's been the Antichrist. Stalin's been the Antichrist. One of my personal favorites, David Hasselhoff. I mean, think about it. I mean, he came from nowhere. He's got millions of dollars, and yet he can't sing. He can't act. People are following him all over the place, and he never ages. This is what people do. They sit around and try and figure out who the Antichrist is. If you're a believer and you're here today, he's going to be revealed after you're gone. You're not going to know who the Antichrist is. Maybe he's alive, but you're not going to know because he's going to be revealed after we're out of here. People are wandering around trying to figure this out, and books have been written about it. It's just like, don't waste your time. And I'll show you why. Here's how crazy it gets. I think it's Barney. (laughs) I'm going to make the case for Barney right now. He's a cute purple dinosaur, amen? So if you change all the U's to V's, that's proper Latin. Remember, our Bibles in English came from Latin, so we got to change that. So we substitute the V's in there. We pull out all the Roman numerals. Leaves you with the ones that I have there on the PowerPoint slide. Change those to Arabic values for number. And guess what you got? 666. Barney is the Antichrist. This is how fruitless this gets. It's like people are wondering, oh, I know who it is. It was Mikhail Gorbachev. It's Vladimir Putin. The Russians always have somebody in. I've had people recently, it's Donald Trump. No, it's not Donald Trump. Frankly, to us who know the Lord, it does not matter. Because we will not be here in that sense. We'll be home in heaven, waiting to come back with Jesus. Amen? But that beast of Revelation 13 is going to have his way. The leopard that he's described there in in that chapter is amazing. The great harlot of Babylon, Revelation 17. The little horn of Daniel, going to be at work. But you need not worry. Why? Because you can change your destiny today. Because of what Jesus did on Calvary's cross. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up, and I'm going to ask the communion team to come forward and begin to pass out the elements of communion. And while we kind of finish the thoughts here, while the elements are being passed out, I want to remind you that we're about to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And as such, these elements represent the broken body of Jesus Christ and the shed blood of our Lord and Savior. And they are for believers only. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, reminded us that we are not to partake of the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. So if you have not invited Jesus Christ into your life, if he is not your Lord, he is not your Savior, you have two choices right now. You can either allow the elements to pass you by. You're under no obligation to take them. You can simply allow them to go by. If you you know whether you're a believer in Jesus Christ right now. If you're not, please allow them to go by unless you want to change your destiny right now. 
Jesus said, if you will believe on my name, if you'll invite me in, I will sup with you and you with me. So you can invite Jesus Christ right now into your life. And then feel free to take those elements and partake with us at your first communion. When you do that, you're believing several things. One is Jesus Christ is God's only son. That he came to this earth and he lived on this earth a sinless life. That he was murdered on Calvary's cross for you personally. For us corporately. That in dying he shed his blood, that blood was sufficient, being seen by God as the full payment for your sin. And because of that, Christ's righteousness is placed in your account by believing on his name. For those of us that are already believers, these two elements represent the most precious treasure on the face of the earth. Because if Christ isn't punished for our sins, if his stripes don't heal us, then we still have to take care of that ourselves. And praise God, his body was broken for us. And his blood was shed for us. And because of that, we've received his grace by faith and are saved.